Welcome to the Parish Art Museum podcast, where we aspire to provide opportunities for learning, sharing, and celebrating the many innovative and pioneering artists who call the East End home. Come back each week to find new and impactful experiences in the arts. We're here to celebrate abstract climates, Helen Frankenthaler in Provincetown. And we're very, very grateful to our colleagues, Elizabeth Smith, who's the executive director of the Helen Frankenthaler Foundation and Leah's Motherwell, uh, and all of our colleagues at the Provincetown Art Association and Museum, who had this idea about three years ago. Uh, and as soon as we caught wind of it, we raised our hands and said, we want to participate and we want to be a part of this story. And, and now here we are, uh, all these years later, just getting ready to launch this great, great project. So um, I'm thrilled that you're here to hear from the, the people who know the most, lots of great stories and insights that you will hear today. And uh, please welcome our guests and enjoy the talk. Thank you, Terry. Uh, I'm Alicia Longwell. I'm the Lewis B. and Dorothy Coleman Chief Curator uh, here at the parish. It's been my absolute pleasure to work with Elizabeth and Lees on the presentation here uh, at the Parish Art Museum and to learn a whole lot more about Helen Frankenthaler as an artist, as a person, and uh, about, especially about these years in Provincetown. It's been amazing. You know, always I think of interest to everyone is to say, how did this particular show come about to the co-curators? And they're right here. So first of all, welcome and, and thank you for being here tonight. The, the show came to mind really about six years ago. I had just curated a show of my father's work at the Provincetown Art Association Museum, where I'm the president of the board. And we had not been able to have a show like that before. And he nor Helen had ever had a show in Provincetown, even though my father worked there for about 40 summers and Helen worked there for more than a decade. And we had finally renovated the museum and were able to show works and borrow works from museums and private collectors. So after I curated my father's show, I said to the director, Chris McCarthy, well, you know, we now have to do Helen. And she said, absolutely. So it was just about that time that the Helen Frankenthaler Foundation was becoming active, and Elizabeth Smith had been hired as the executive director. So I said to her, what would you think about doing a Frankenthaler show in Provincetown? And Elizabeth, I spent all my summers in Provincetown and spend a lot of winters there now. And Elizabeth had also spent some summers there when she was growing up, so she knew Provincetown, and she knew exactly that Helen's work, bringing Helen's work back to Provincetown would be a great show. And then we were very happy to, of course, be able to share it with the parish. Thank you. When Lees broached the topic, of course, it was early in the life of the Helen Frankenthaler Foundation, and this idea presented itself to us as a tremendous research opportunity for the foundation. We inherited from Helen's estate a collection of her own work, and really there had not been any kind of, of scholarship or real discussion about Helen's Provincetown period. And you know, we thought to ourselves that it made great sense to utilize works in our own collection as the nucleus for the exhibition and to draw upon the archives, the repository of papers that were also part of, part of Helen's estate that came to the foundation. So it turned out to be you know, a, a multi-year research effort that is really the first such project to look at the impact of a place on the work of this particular artist. 
I would say this show is unique in many ways, one of them being the focus on place and also on the spaces that uh, Frankenthaler worked over the decade that she was there, which obviously is tied in with her marriage to Robert Motherwell. Could you talk a little bit about the particular spaces and how that changed over the years? So um, Helen worked in three different studios in Provincetown. And I think one of the things that's really striking about this show and about her work is that, and about her, is that Helen could work anywhere. She was, we know that when she was on her honeymoon and, and with my father and they were in Europe, she ran out of materials and so she pulled, you know, paper, linen paper out of the drawers and started painting on that. And she took the linen sheets off the bed and started painting on those. So we know she was very inventive. She worked in three studios. The first one was at the Day's Lumberyard, which is now the Fine Arts Work Center, for those of you who know of it. And it was downtown in Provincetown on a side street, but really right downtown in an old barn that was converted. She had the upper story. My father had the lower story. And then my father renovated a house on the water, and she had a studio on the second floor overlooking the water. So we were literally 15 feet from the bay overlooking the bay. And then the house became a full-time house, and we were young kids and pretty noisy, so she decided to move her studio to what she called a studio in the woods, which was Nelson's Riding Stables, which literally was in the woods, in the dunes. And, and you can see some differences in color palette, but not completely. And each of these spaces were fairly large, so you will see that her paintings are quite large. And I always remind people, we all think... When we go to museums now and you see a painting the size of one of these walls, you think, wow, that's really big. But the paintings in this exhibition were huge for that period of time. You know, people were just starting to paint that big. And so it was quite striking and, and Helen was quite prolific. And in fact, one summer in, in the studio in the woods, she painted 45 of the paintings that size, which is really extraordinary. I'll just add to that that we were also very interested in what Helen's daily painting practice was like in Provincetown. And of course, Lee's, you know, knew that intimately, living, you know, with them, with Helen and Bob Motherwell and, and seeing that, you know, take place. But Helen had um, quite a, you know, a schedule of painting during the summer. She would paint primarily in the mornings, nine to one. And then in the afternoons, uh, she would relax, family with friends, she loved to swim. And the, the, the rhythms of her summertime were something of interest to us because we, you know, were looking at what, you know, the meaning of this particular place was, not just in terms of how it may have impacted her art, but whether it also impacted her studio practice. I would just add to that as well that Provincetown has many summer rituals that include things like Fourth of July Parade, a Portuguese festival, a blessing of the fleet, and many of the titles of the paintings you will see reference the various rituals that, that happened in Provincetown. And that also very much was part of the rhythm of what went on during the summertime. Provincetown was very much a refuge for Helen and my father. They got away from the busyness of New York and the business of the art world. In fact, when we were first there as kids in the early 60s, we didn't have a telephone. And if you wanted to contact them, you had to send a telegram. Remember those? <laughs> or you had to write a letter. And Helen really tried to provide a space for them where they weren't interrupted, where they had uninterrupted time in their studios, but also where they could spend time with us as kids and also 
spend time with friends, some of whom came up from New York, and as they were there longer, friends with people around town, other artists and writers. What, what you're seeing scrolling over our heads is uh, obviously not only the artworks, but this wonderful trove of archival images from those summers, which uh, really adds so much to what we know about uh, the time there and when she was painting. I think there's your lemonade stand. Not right this minute, but <laughs> that will come too. And just uh, to know about the sort of rhythm of the summer, whereas they were rigorously devoted to their painting, there was also a space for uh, the relaxation. What I find interesting, of course, is in these days when letter writing has just gone, evaporated, really, there's a wonderful collection, not only of letters that she wrote to others, but to her friend, Sonia Rudikoff, those papers now at Princeton, and most especially, I think, to Grace Hartigan, who was her fellow painter. A lot of confidences about things that might not be working with painting or sort of working through various periods that weren't always so easy with her work. When, you first, um, when we first talked about the show, I, of course, was interested in finding out. I knew Frankenthaler had spent at least one summer here, at least one August rental. And at other times, she had visited Grace Hartigan when Grace was in Osorio's gatehouse. And um, interesting to know in that one period, it was not far down the road from Pollock's studio. And she, of course, knew Jackson and Lee through her association with Clement Greenberg, the great critic, who would bring her out. And at this point, she was barely out of college, just starting out in her career. And she, in the, in the years 51 and 52, did visit that studio. And one can't help but think that that had some, I, you don't even need to use the term influence. You only have to think about seeing the work in the studio at that time when it was working on the floor. And would you comment a little bit about maybe Elizabeth, about how those, uh, those visits might have, what the effect was on Sure. <laughs> Seeing Pollock's work was catalytic. Catalytic and cataclysmic for, for <laughs> Helen Frankenthaler. <laughs> she had seen you know, Pollock's work in show, in exhibitions in New York, and found it just so impactful. And when she was able to also you know, come out here, spend time with him and Lee Krasner, and be around his painting and around him, the, and both of them, I think it was incredibly important for her, very stimulating. And it launched her un an understanding of Pollock's practice and his innovations in particular launched her on this period of inquiry and experimentation that you know, helped her define uh, her own contribution to you know, the history of painting during that period. You know, do you want to comment further? I think there were two really important things that Helen saw when she was in Pollock's studio. One was that he wasn't working on an easel and he was working on the floor. And so the idea that you could get rid of the easel and you could paint on the floor and that you could walk around your painting and you could turn it and you weren't painting you know, directly on something that was either vertical or horizontal was really key for her. And that freed her up to, in the Provincetown studio, she would have a roll of canvas, she would roll it out and she wouldn't cut the painting until she had finished it. So that gave, so she wasn't confined by the size or the shape of the canvas until she had finished the painting. And 
sometimes she would paint a painting and she would hang it on the wall and then she would hang it upside down and decide that that was the right way that it should go. So it gave her lots of freedom. The other thing was that Pollock, she saw that Pollock wasn't using a brush, that he was dripping paint. And that gave her the idea that you don't need a brush and that you can use all sorts of instruments. So you will see and make sure that when you see the show that you look at the archival material, but also look at the video, which is a couple of clips from two different films that show her actually making a painting where she's pouring paint. And you'll see the various instruments she used. She uses brushes and she uses sponges and she uses squeegees and she uses, um, she uses all sorts of, uh, she uses trowels. And there's a watercolor, one of the early watercolors in, from 1960 called the Provincetown series, and there's one that has yellow crayon in it. And I don't know if this is true, but I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> You're I suspect allowed. that what happened was she, they didn't, they, my father and she didn't have a studio that year, so she painted those probably on the dining room table. And I suspect my sister and I were both there drawing with crayons, and she thought, oh, and grabbed a crayon and added it to her own painting. So she would try anything and didn't worry about whether it worked. I mean, of course she wanted it to work, but she was willing to try anything and be very spontaneous and experimental. And it's one of the things I loved about her as a stepmother. She was very spontaneous and she loved to have a good time. And we would be in the studio, we'd be painting and drawing, and all of a sudden she'd turn on Chubby, Chubby Checker and she'd say, come on, let's twist. And we'd get up and we'd start twisting. And it was, it was really, really fun. She loved to dance as well as swim. So that kind of spontaneity really shows up in these paintings. And there's a kind of joy that you feel when you see them in part because it's summertime and everybody's much more relaxed and there's a lot less pressure and you can just see that freedom that we all experienced as kids and they did as adults in Provincetown. Speaking of summer, she um, did write in a letter to Sonia Rudikoff about that August in 55 when she was here that there was a like a moving party from Southampton to East Hampton and back again at the same sort of circle that she admitted to freely participating in that summer. She enjoyed it. It was also a very hot one, and she wrote about just fitzing, I think she said, because her studio was so tight. I, it gives you a remarkable view of her to read the letter. She was a beautiful writer, too, very expressive. It's interesting you say using anything on hand or things to manipulate the paint on the surface of the canvas because in that spring of 51 when she's known to have visited a Pollock studio, that was the spring that he started with the black and white paintings and also it was something of a block over the course of the winter and Krasner had bought glass basting syringes like big turkey basters and brought those to him in which he sort of started to use those as well, so she might have seen those. But something you said, Lise, really struck me always about the, Helen's character, both in her life and in her art, that she was a risk taker. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think in part what I was just saying about her being spontaneous, I th she really lived by the idea of there are no rules and you just need to take risks. And I have to say, Helen was not somebody who was dangerous. She wasn't somebody who drank a lot or drove fast or any of the other things that many of the abstract expressionists did. But she took a lot of risks in her work. 
And she was, you know, she worked in um, different mediums. She worked in paint. She worked in sculpture. She worked in pottery. She worked, she's very well known for her printmaking. And she also was willing to try different kinds of materials in terms of, well, like many artists of the time, she switched from oil to acrylic paint in the 60s. She also would, in, in the painting Beach, which I love to talk about because it's, it's from 1950, it's from, actually, let me just step back a little bit. She first came to Provincetown in 1950 to study with Hans Hoffmann for a few weeks. And while she was there, she, she had studied Cubism a lot with Paul Feely at Bennington College. And while she was studying with Hans Hoffmann, she liked him very much as a person. She really loved his um, use of color and wanted to experience what it was like to be with him and, and learn from him. But very shortly after she started in those three weeks, she decided that she had had it with formal study. And she spent most of the summer, most of those three weeks, painting from her cottage porch. So after she left Provincetown, after that three weeks, she painted this painting called Beach that fall, which obviously references Provincetown in terms of the title, but it's also painted, and it's one of the, sort of the, I think the way she took risks. She painted it with paint and plaster of Paris and sand and coffee grounds, which we think of Helen as somebody who is very influenced by landscape, but she's not a landscape painter. She doesn't render landscapes. What she renders is the experience of being in an environment and in a place. And that painting, you know, for me, evokes our sitting on the deck in the morning with Helen drinking a cup of coffee. She used to make coffee, Martin's coffee. I don't know if you remember that with the ground, the coffee ground, coffee already ground, way before Starbucks. And when she was finished, she would use the cans to pour the paint. She would pour the paint in the cans and then pour it onto the canvas. And the sand, you know, certainly evokes the walking on the beach and the, the crunchiness of the sand under your feet. And so she was able to capture a whole environment and also, again, to use the materials that were available, to use different um, tools to, to render the paintings. But she, as I said, I think the spontaneity, the willingness to just say, okay, I'll pick up this crayon and see what happens, or I will use coffee grounds and see what happens and see how that changes the texture of the painting. Or I'll turn this painting sideways and see what happens. Is a kind, and also, the, the other thing that I think is really important is when you look at the film, you will see just how physical her painting process is and how much paint she's actually moving around and controlling. And when I was a kid, and many of you probably heard similar things when you were at museums, I heard a lot, oh, my kid could do that, abstract art. My kid can do that. <laughs> well, let me say, try it. It's not so easy. And when you see the degree to which Helen actually controls this material, it's really phenomenal. Yeah, I, I would completely agree that it's the interplay of, of spontaneity, risk-taking, embracing sort of the unknown and the chance aspect of what happens on a canvas with a kind of, of, of increasing mastery of the medium and, and control and ability to you know, manipulate the results to, to, to the vision um, uh, of what she wanted to achieve. So I think also that in our exhibition, we jump forward from that period of 1950, the study with Hoffman, to then the late 50s, when Helen married Bob Motherwell and when they first spent time um, in Falmouth on Cape Cod before decamping to Provincetown where they, you know, would spend almost every summer in the 1960s. We 
just might mention the summer of 52 when she was painting and sketching as she traveled around Cape Breton, uh, vacation in Canada, and came back and in the fall of that year, uh, in virtually one sitting, produced a painting called Mountains and Sea, which has become emblematic of a whole generation that followed her, really. And other artists had said that this pointed the way to how to paint after Pollock. And she said something so interesting about that, which was not that it was about the landscape, although it's titled Mountains and Sea, but that she brought that, the, the, those vistas with her, sort of in her arms. I think what does that, that mean for you? Yeah, I, I mean, that is such an apt and interesting thing for her to have said, and it really points the way toward how in the future she was responsive to place uh, and landscape. And it was never about depiction. It was never about representing something. But it was about capturing a memory, uh, an experience, a mood, a feeling. And one of the reasons why we decided to title the show Abstract Climates, Helen Frankenthaler in Provincetown, is because that's, that was a quote, direct quote from Helen. It was something she said about her own work. And the quote goes, um, my work is about climates, abstract climates, not nature per se, but a feeling, a feeling of an order that is associated with nature. And that seems to really reveal how, um, you know, how she did respond to place, how significant it was for her, and how that landscape remained in her arms and then, you know, and, and her head and her heart, and then caused her to create a work like Mountains and Sea in 52, which was transformative for her and for a number of other artists who followed. The psychologist in me says that it's also about human nature, and I, I think that sort of captures the idea that you're rendering your internal experience of a place, not just the external environment. So it's both human nature and physical nature. Um, I, I think you might have noticed this uh, slide, that image that came through of the sort of tall, white building. That was Sea Barn, and which was added to, as I understand, over a period of several years. and grew to a couple of stories higher than in the nave. Some people, Helen wrote, called it the white skyscraper there, <laughs> right on the waterfront. And there's also, if you noticed in the image, there's Frankenthaler bobbing in the water. Would you talk something about the, the summers when you were right there on the water? Helen loved nature, but she was not somebody who's going to go hiking or <laughs> crossing the dunes. We did that, but she didn't do that. But she loved to swim. And swimming became something that she did, depending on the tides, both in the morning and the afternoon. And she obviously taught both my sister and me how to swim. And as an adult, Helen and I would swim at the uh, Dairy NY when I would go visit. And it just evoked all the memories of, of her having taught me to swim. I also think about her swimming as a metaphor for the way in which she immersed herself in an environment and the way in which you feel, and how you feel when you immerse yourselves in her paintings. Her paintings are really big, they're really beautiful, and they have that kind of watery, liquid, fluid kind of feel to them. And that very much re you know, references also both the tidal changes and the weather changes in Provincetown. I don't know if the weather here changes as rapidly as it does in Provincetown, but you can have a beautiful sunny day and the fog will roll in within a half hour and all of a sudden it's very milky and murky and then there can be a thunderstorm and then all of a sudden the sun's out again and that can all happen within an hour or two. 
And she really captures that in these paintings. And you'll also see in the painting Flood, you get a sense of, which is one of the very enormous paintings at the end of one of the rooms, that you really get a sense of the, the tidal changes and the wetness of the sand and the, the line that the water leaves as it recedes and comes in. And it's, it's really, I, I think she was really wonderful at, at doing that. Um, and, and really rendering that kind of experience. But I, the Provincetown days were, you know, as I think Elizabeth said already, she painted from 9 to 12 or 9 to 1. We had lunch at 1 o'clock. The only rule we had really was that we had to be home for lunch at 1 o'clock because they often were out at cocktail parties or dinner parties or having their own. And my father worked at night from like 9 at night till 2 in the morning. So the one time the family was together was at lunchtime. And we would talk about what we were doing for the day and where we were going to be staying that night. And I spent a lot of nights at my friends' houses because my parents were working. And it was, Provincetown was a great playground. It was, a, it was safe. It was a place that was small enough that we could wander around on our own. And so after Helen worked, finished working, she would, and after lunch, she would sometimes take us you know, swimming or to, um, there was a pool nearby. She loved to swim in a swimming pool as well. And uh, we'd listen to music, and we would, you know, eat hamburgers by the pool. And she had a wonderful, you'll see a photograph of it, she had a wonderful little Fiat called the Jolly, which had a wicker seats and, a, and was a, a canvas top. And we loved driving around in this little Jolly. So she would often drive us around. So it was, it was very casual. It was very, in, in many ways, very unstructured. But in other ways, with these regular rituals, it was something that we could depend on. Well, this has been wonderful. I don't want to keep you all any longer here. I know you want to go see those beautiful paintings and enjoy this beautiful summer night. Enormously grateful to Elizabeth and Lise and everyone at the Frankenthaler Foundation who has been so supportive of our effort here and very happy that it turned out this beautifully. Thank you.